As we begin our time in God's Word together, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning thanking you for the blessings of this day, for the time that we've already enjoyed and worshiped together. Lord, as we come to this time where we seek to understand your Word to us, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us, that you would reprove us and correct us, that we might leave this place ready to serve you and to live as sacrifices for you. Pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. This morning we're going to be in Romans chapter 12, and we're just going to look at two verses today. Uh, But they are significant verses, and I'll explain why here in just a second. But so far in our study of the book of Romans, Paul has been dealing with the, uh, the basics of the gospel, the definition of the gospel, that there is this way of salvation, this way of righteousness that is apart from the law. That if you try to live in obedience to the law, you will ultimately fail because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And therefore, we're, none of us are able to be acceptable to God by our good works. But God has always had this other way of righteousness, which is a way through faith that by trusting in the promises of God, by trusting in His work through His Son, Jesus Christ, We can, as he says in in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, we can have peace with God. That there is no more uh, division between God and man. There is no more uh, separation or war between God and man. There is no more judgment. There is no more, as he says in Romans 8, 1, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And all of that is beautiful and is the heart of the gospel message. But then Paul has been working out over the last three chapters that we've been studying how that uh, works itself out in the world. And the fact that, uh, you know, God has had this grand plan from all of eternity past that he would work through the nation of Israel to bring about the promised Messiah and then through that Messiah to reach the world with the gospel message. And so we, we ended last uh, time with this beautiful statement in verses 34 and 36, through 36 of chapter 11, which says, For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him that he might be replay, repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. And so this is kind of the conclusion, if you will, of Paul's theological treatise on the gospel and its implications for the world and its implications for God's plan for the world. And now, Paul, as he is very, uh, has a, a very clear habit of doing in all of his letters, he's going to turn from the theological to the practical. And so, in these two verses that we have this morning, we have a transition from, uh, ha- from what the gospel is to how we live in light of the gospel in our daily lives. And so for the next four chapters, we're going to be looking in just a few verses really at a time at uh, what the gospel means for us as we seek to live a life of faith in this unbelieving world. How are we to live a life of faith when temptations arise every day? How are we to fellowship with other believers who are sinners just like we are and who often rub us the wrong way? And how are we to get along and to work together for the sake of the kingdom? 
How are we to view our government? How are we to live even if in, in this world and in this society, even though it might seem to be set against God and set against Christian values? How are we to handle the differences in lifestyle between Christians where, who are, come from different backgrounds and different experiences? So over the next four chapters, we're going to flesh all of that out and seek to answer a bunch of questions about how the gospel applies to us in our daily lives. And today we're going to start with one of the most pivotal passages in all of the book of Romans. And it's a very clear turning point in the book, but it's also a powerful uh, a powerful collection or coming together of the, the points that Paul has already made so that he might move forward to what he wants to say about how we live in the light of the gospel in our daily lives. So let's read together these few verses, these two verses, uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and then understand what it says for us today. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So in these two verses, we have two principles that establish for us how we're to live as faithful Christians in this fallen world. And I would, I would really encourage you, if you haven't already, to set this passage to memory because this is a great passage to have memorized. It is kind of a life verse, if you will, to live by. And there are two principles that Paul gives us here for how we're to live as Christians in this world. And these two principles are going to be my two points this morning. First, we have the sacrifice of the body. And second, the saturation of the mind. Sacrifice of the body and the saturation of the mind. So first, let's consider from the first verse, verse 1, the sacrifice of the body. Now, when I was in high school, I loved... To play the game of football. And uh, one thing that is, in my opinion, sets football apart from every other sport is the fact that you are called to, regardless of what position you play on that field, you are called to every play sacrifice your body for the sake of your team. Now, I understand other sports call you to make sacrifices. You know, if you're playing basketball and and a guy's coming down the middle of the court and you have to post up, you, you're called on to, to take that charge for the team so that you might draw a foul and, and be able to get, uh, get the ball back. Uh, but in basketball, you might be called to do that, but you're not called to do it every play. In soccer, you may be called as a goalkeeper to take one to the head, to the face, for the sake of the team, to block the, the shot so that your team doesn't get scored on. And, and that is certainly a physical thing that you do to sacrifice your body for the sake of the team. But in football, that happens every play. And in fact, one of the big parts about football is uh, one of the big things that coaches have to do in football is train you how to sacrifice your body 
on a day on a regular basis and so you do things like you go and you practice during the heat of summer so that you condition your body for the heat of august and fall and you do things like um you know they run drills where you get used to hitting each other and and running into things so that you're conditioned to do that during the game and then you know you you're one of the things i heard regularly was my coaches made sure we understood maybe y'all have heard this the difference in being hurt and being injured. You know, are you, is it just hurting or are you actually injured? Um, well, one game, uh, when I was a sophomore in high school, uh, I played defensive end. And we were not that great of a team. Obviously, I was a sophomore starting at defensive end, so we couldn't be all that great of a team. But uh, we were scheduled to play Wilcox Academy, which at the time and in those days, they, it, the state championship went back and forth between Wilcox and uh, Morgan Academy. And so they were, they were one of the favorites for state championship that year. And about midweek of that week that we were getting ready to play Wilcox Academy, I started to run a fever. And I, uh, I went to the game making that distinction between hurt and injured, I went to the game running 102 degree fever to play Wilcox Academy. And I remember on Wilcox's first drive, they marched it down the field in just a few plays and they got to within, uh, within 10 yards of the goal line. And I'm getting ready, I'm getting down in my, in my four point stance, I'm trying to get my mind psyched out to, to block uh, uh, to, to stop this drive and to stop this uh, goal line stand or make a goal line stand. And uh, I notice as I'm getting down in my stance, the tackle and the tight end from Wilcox are running up to the line and they're arguing with one another, like, uh, you know, very loudly and, and uh, seriously arguing with one another. And they get close to me and they're arguing over who to block. And the tackle finally gets frustrated and he grabs the tight end by the face mask and he says, you block him, and he points at me, and I'm going to block this guy. And so they get down, they hike the ball, he pancakes me, and they run and they score a touchdown. <laughs> and, and at that moment, that 102 degree fever and that sacrifice of my body didn't seem to be doing all that much for the sake of my win. And you know, whether we admit it or not, whether we think about it or not, Many of us make those kinds of sacrifices of our bodies all the time. If you will, useless sacrifices of our bodies. We all, in one way or another, sacrifice our body to something. Some of us sacrifice our bodies to the abuse of a substance. We abuse alcohol or tobacco or drugs until our bodies are destroyed. Others of us sacrifice our bodies to our work. We put in the hours, we take the overtime, we waste away the years climbing the corporate ladder and have very little to show for it at the end. Still others of us sacrifice our bodies to our lusts. We run ourselves ragged, chasing after the next relationship and leave a wake of brokenness in our paths. Paul states this very truth back in Romans chapter 1, verse 24, when he said, that God has given humanity over to the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies by exchanging the truth of God for a lie. But now, if we have turned to faith in Jesus Christ, we know that God has given us His Son 
And his son is the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And through faith in him, we have peace with God. We know that through Jesus, we have been delivered from judgment and death uh, of death and hell. And we have instead inherited eternal life through Jesus Christ. And if all of that is true, then how should we respond? How is it that we are to now live in light of the gospel as we seek to live out our faith in this daily world, in our daily lives? And Paul answers that by saying that we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, there are three aspects of this statement that we have to notice. First of all, he says that we are to present our bodies. Now, the Greek word for body there is soma. And it means the body as a complete whole. To, in other words, everything that we are, our physical bodies, our minds, our souls, our hearts, our desires, all of it is to be given to God, be presented to God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20, Paul puts it this way. You have been bought with a price, so worship God with your body. So because... God has bought us back from our sins. He has ransomed us from the dominion of death and darkness. He has brought us into the light of His kingdom because He has done that through the full payment for our sins through His Son. God now owns you. He, you are now under the rule and mastery of God. So everything that we are, all of our body. Our soul, our desires, our minds are to be given back to God as an offering. And second, Paul says that we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, this is a fascinating statement to me because by this very definition, a sacrifice is not living, right? A sacrifice dies. But Paul says that we are to live as though we are a sacrifice to God. We are to live our lives as though we are giving it back to God. You know, uh, in the Old Testament, I'm reading through the uh, book of Exodus right now, and in the middle part of Exodus, God establishes this law of the firstborn, where every Child that is born to God, born to an Israelite, is to be uh, de- dedicated to God. And there's a sacrifice that goes on when you do that. That you're you sacrifice this sheep, and this sheep is representative of that child. And so, uh, in in doing that, what's communicated in that law is that that child belongs to God. And in order to get him back from God. You have to sacrifice to get redeem him back. And uh, that, to me, very clearly communicates that everything about us, everything that we have, everything that we are, it ultimately belongs to God. And therefore, we are to live in such a way that we glorify God with what we have. Finally, the last thing about this statement that I want you to notice is that we're to present our bodies a living sacrifice, which is our spiritual worship. Now, yours, your translation might also say 
your uh, spiritual service. The word there for worship and service, are kind of, or it could mean either one. It's latria. It's the idea of having an order of worship or liturgy of worship. So understand this. The whole of our lives is to be presented to God as an act of worship. What we do with our hands is an act of worship. Our faithfulness in our marriage is an act of worship. What, uh, how we raise our children is an act of worship. What we do with our time is an act of worship. Every part of our lives, every part of our day, every talent that we have, every blessing that we enjoy is to be given back to God as an act of worship. So you might be wondering, okay, I want to worship God. I want to live as a sacrifice to Him. But how am I supposed to do that when this fallen world gives me struggle after struggle, challenge after challenge, temptation after temptation? And that brings me to my second point, which is the saturation of the mind. In verse 2, Paul answers this question of how by saying that we are giving us uh, two commands, basically, by giving us a negative command and a positive command. First, he says that we are or, or we should not be conformed to this world. Now, the word world there, uh, actually, your trans- translation may actually say age. Uh, it actually is better translated as age or world system. And it's the idea of the cultural patterns and the mindset and the lifestyles that are set against God. So if you pay close enough attention, and I know many of you do, you understand this, you'll come to recognize that there is a spirit of the age, a, a zeitgeist, if you will, a set of beliefs and attitudes and practices and desires which captivate the people who do not believe in Jesus Christ. And this goes well beyond the latest fashions or fads. It goes beyond uh, what we wear and the movies that we watch. It goes to the very core of the beliefs of our society. And those things change over time. There are certainly cases where we can look and say, you know, uh, America wasn't like this back when I was a kid, or America wasn't like this back during its founding. But there has always been a spirit of the age that is set against God. It doesn't matter what country you're from. It doesn't matter what culture you're from. If you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, then the tendency is to be given to an attitude that is set against God. That is what Paul means here by not being conformed to this world. For Americans, at least right now, this is defined by a belief in radical individualism. I can do whatever I want with my own life and no one can tell me otherwise. I'm free to follow my dreams, follow my desires, achieve what I want out of this life. And the world better bend to my desires and my whims or I'll blow them up on social media. Americans also have this tendency to be given to the idea that physical pleasures are the highest form of of good. So the good of an activity or a moral decision or a law is judged based on whether it increases or decreases physical 
pleasure. And this is most clearly exemplified or shown in our country, our society's obsession with sex. We judge everything by that. We judge our mates by it. We sell our products with it. And we even determine our identities by it. So as Christians, we're called to resist conformity to the world. So in a society that values self and makes decisions based on self-recognition, we should be willing to sacrifice self for the sake of the good of others. We should, we should value the needs of others above our own values. It also means that we should resist the temptation to judge everything based on what pleasure it brings us. Now, that is true with sex. And let me just say, to start with, with that means that if the world is chasing after sex and, and pleasure in that way, then we should bring our desires under the lordship of Jesus Christ. But pleasure is not just, especially in our society, it's not just defined by sex. It can also be decide, de, defined, and I think that this shows through a lot more in our Christian subculture, our, our our Christian subculture is affected by the larger culture in this way, is that we are, we, quite frankly, we like our pajama time in America today. We like to sit on our couch, watch Netflix, watch Amazon Prime, scroll through Facebook, and we value that time far more than any other time that we could devote. And so I think for a lot of a large measure, the reason that we don't see people in this sanctuary a lot of times is because they choose pleasure, relaxation, leisure over commitment to their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, that's not always the case, and it, it can certainly be reasonable and good reasons to, to miss church from time to time. I'm not saying that you can't miss church. What I am saying, though, is that we have a habit, even as believers in our society, of being affected by the spirit of this age, which is that we are given to the, the drug of leisure over everything else. And we commit our lives, first and foremost, to our own pleasure and our own enjoyment. That may be sex, it may be a substance, it may be just sitting around doing nothing or doing what we want rather than sacrificing for the greater good of the kingdom of God. Second, Paul makes a positive statement, a positive command, when he says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So remember back in Romans chapter 8, verses 20, verse 29, Paul said that God has predestined us to be conformed to the image of His Son. In other words... God has already determined that we would be changed to be more and more like Jesus Christ. And I think that's at the heart of what Paul is saying here. That word transform there, when he says, be transformed uh, uh, or transformed by the renewing of your mind, that word there in the Greek is metamorphosis. It's the idea of being radically changed or being changed in the state or appearance of a thing. And so you can imagine, we, you know, if you studied science, you know that a caterpillar goes through metamorphosis, right? It changes its appearance from 
looking nothing like a butterfly to being transformed into this beautiful creature that is a butterfly. In a similar way, God is transforming us. He is transforming us from sinners who are enslaved to the patterns of this world and devoted to our fleshly desires into people who are led by the Spirit and and destined for eternal life with Jesus Christ. So as we've already seen, the two lives, a life in the Spirit and a life in the flesh, they look nothing alike. There's nothing in common between a life that is devoted to fleshly desire and a life that is devoted to following the Spirit of God. So we should pursue transformation as we live day by day for the Lord. And notice how we are to be transformed. Paul says we are to be transformed by the renewal of your mind. In other words, we are to constantly be working to change the way we think. If the world has, if we've grown up in a world system that values self over everything else and values Uh, pleasure over everything else, values leisure over everything else, then we should have that in mind and know that that is not right. And we should daily repent of that and work to change our mind about how we view this world. And that starts with very basic things. It starts with reading God's Word. It starts with being faithful to gather together with other believers at church and to fellowship together and to study God's Word together. It starts by listening to faithful preaching and teaching. But it may also be that you need to give up things. It may also be that you need to refuse to let the world infiltrate your mind by by not listening to certain things, not watching certain things, but, and not being around certain people because they have a negative influence on your mind. We need to be ready and willing to forsake this world, to not be conformed to the spirit of this age, to be transformed by the renewal of our mind. It also means that we should seek the way of service in our marriages, We should serve our spouse. In our work, we should be diligent to seek the good of others. In our church, we should look for ways that we can serve. In our witness, we should uh, get out of our comfort zone and be bold in telling others about Jesus Christ. So we shouldn't just seek to change our mind by filling it with good things, but we should get out and do what the Lord has called us to do as we seek to live a faithful witness in this world. So this morning, may we all make the commitment to live as sacrifices to God, seeking to bring Him glory. And may we give up the mindset of the world and instead seek to have the mind of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word that forms us and that transforms us. Lord, I pray that we would commit today to live as sacrifices for you, that we would live not in conformity to this world, but we would seek to be transformed by the renewing of our minds as we walk in newness of life in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would bless us now. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.